welcome back to the Why Hockey Periodical. We're actually living up to our name podcast because we haven't done one periodically for, what, nearly two months? It's been about two months. That was our original intention, but it's uh, staying true. You know, we are on brand, if anything. I, I love how even through a pandemic and even through all that we're going through, we are living up to our name. We are being consistent. How goes it with the pandemic over there? New Jersey. It's not terrible. I mean, some places are starting to open up slowly but surely. I've dealt with delivery and going out and picking up food. It's not been too bad. It's obviously heavily hit in New Jersey, but uh, not the worst thing. I've been able to deal with it. I've been watching a lot of shows like uh, Space's Deepest Secrets and things like that on the Science Channel. Big fan of the Science Channel. Out in uh, the sticks in Pennsylvania, we haven't really had to deal with it too, too much. So yes, uh, say that's been pretty good. Now live in New Hampshire where he used to live. He has now moved out into. Well, you're not. You don't live in the sticks, but you live somewhat away from things. Yeah, where the people are more separated and dispersed, and there's a lot more open green space in between everything. A lot more buffer room, and luckily, luckily for us. Yeah, there's there. Has, Get out, stretch your legs, etc. There has been a lot of bizarre stuff going on, uh, and with hockey too. We're going to talk about everything, vis-a-vis the Panthers and what it means to be involved in this tournament that is not the playoffs, but as playoff overtime rules and will technically count as playoff stats, but they're going to call it the postseason or something for TV. Re- I, who the heck knows? But um, I, I want to start because if we if we don't address this, we're you know we're shirking our responsibility because of what's been happening as we're recording this on June the third. Uh, of course, uh, Black Lives Matter. I mean that's obvious. You don't us, you don't need us to tell you that. But in this discussion, and we've seen so many people talking and so many good people talking, but I want to talk about hockey players talking, which doesn't really happen, and it's an interesting discussion and. I saw, and it made me think about this because I saw it recently on Twitter, somebody actually put together a grading system for the team's responses to what happened with George Floyd. And it was very interesting to look at, you know, here's what certain teams did, here's what certain teams didn't do, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's brought to mind a lot of questions I have with something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, which is... uh, a quote I remember from an internet reviewer named Todd in the Shadows. He was reviewing the song We Are the World when after the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. So this is 10 years ago. But it's a quote that always stuck with me. It's insincere displays of charity versus genuine displays of apathy. So what does that mean vis-a-vis what we're seeing these NHL teams doing, what these players are doing? So first, I want to let you speak on this because I think there's a lot of nuance here that is very critical and important. So... I still don't really know where I stand on whether grading a team's response to this is appropriate or, you know, how do we put together the fact that they're actually saying something even if they're not saying ideally what we want to hear or we think they should be saying. You know what I mean? Like These are things that I'm trying to be thinking about vis-a-vis hockey, which is this unique sport where no one talks about anything other than hockey. So to see this is obviously a big change. But it, it it's like with with everything. Um, there, when it becomes an expect an expectation that teams, companies, businesses must put out a statement 
when these teams, businesses, companies, you know, are the same ones that underlie the problem, you're always going to get those inauthentic kind of plain boilerplate. They're more done by the legal department in HR than the actual, um, you know, executives or uh, workers of the company, even though, you know, workers of the franchise or the, or the business can be, you know, totally on board with it. Um, you know, it's crafted. That's probably the best word for it. All of these are crafted to not offend these certain people, uh, and still get certain points or credit or, you know, give certain acknowledgements. It's, it's too political as in not, you know, what you mean? Like it's, it's, more... not, it's not political in the sense of right versus left. It's a political no, in the sense it's... of the language that you use. Everything's it's... measured and everything is meant to pr- – everything's kind of meant they're to hit. They're their bets is what they're kind yes. of doing. Because yeah. They have – and particularly with hockey where you have a specific audience that watches hockey, and you know this if you're a hockey fan. You know, you've been to a game. You know what it looks like, you know. And I was talking about this with a friend related to the Islanders and the language that, he, that they used, and he was not happy about it, and I can understand. But, you know, especially when we talk about, in this case, the team that we follow here very specifically, which is the Panthers, and we know what the Panthers are. So, in any ways, I think there's a genuine sense and sentiment that is underneath all of this. And I can't belittle a genuine sense that exists, because it does exist somewhere, even if, you know... The teams are doing it because they feel like they have to, and some of the players I would, are doing it because they feel like they have to. But I would rather they do nothing because I would rather genuine ap- apathy because they really don't care. And at the end of the day, this is something that they're doing because they think it helps their profit bottom line. If they don't put out a statement, if they don't do this balance, they will see they will see people, you know, retaliating, they will see, you know, loss of sales, something like that. And, and, or this is done because if you do this, you become, you know, an acceptable, uh, business to spend your money at amongst a certain group. And if you can champion a certain cause, uh, enough, you can then turn it into a night to sell tickets. You can se- turn it into merchandise to sell. You can turn it into, you know, a lot of things. So at the end of the day, there's still, the Panthers are still going to have military personnel in their arena with guns. They're still going to have police officers dropping pucks. They're still going to have that mentality, uh, from the West Point that Vinny Viola grew up in when he was there, that he wants to continue with the Panthers. That was the stated purpose of buying the team. He's going to want to continue that, uh, you know, no matter what. So it doesn't really matter what they say because at the end of the day, um, when this NHL does get opened up to the fans, it's going to go right back to normal. And, you know, everyone who's gone to a Florida Panthers game, uh, knows exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and whether you're for or against it or you don't care at all, um, you know, it's that's the truth. 
you know, any statement is un is you know kind of belied by that. I think that I hope that it's not going to be the case. Although with the Panthers, you have no reason to believe that they're going to change because they just don't. But I, in a sense, it's the hockey, it's the case we've always seen, though. I mean, yeah, in it, whether in hockey and in anything. I mean, it's very few companies that even put out good statements. You'd have to look at an ice cream company like Ben & Jerry, which well, is owned again, by Unilever. If you don't know what Ben & Jerry's is and you don't know what Ben & Jerry's, like, its history, you'll see why that makes sense for why they did what they did. That's a right. very specific example. And as I said, Ben & Jerry's is not any other company. Let's, right, let's because they don't clear. have any risk. They can. They don't have any. Well, their brand identity, and right. I'm talking about this, but it's so defined, and they have such it as already that it doesn't really matter. They're not going to lose anything because, well, they're a civic treasure in Vermont anyway, and you know, there's this. But I, I think with me, it's not even as much as the teams because the teams is definitely boilerplate statements and things like that. Which, you know what? If you want to go find that um, that grading, um, Shana, uh, great writer, um, writing uh, athletic. Uh, you know where it, and hockey graphs. So you could go find that that post, and it actually says, "Here's who mentioned George Floyd. Here's who mentioned racist violence and oppression, police violence, etc., etc., etc." And no one mentioned police violence. Really, a surprising development considering this is the NHL. Um, but anyway, I think for me, it wasn't even about the teams because the teams kind of had to do something as these blanket entities in many ways that people have their loyalties towards far more than the players. The players themselves are interesting because one of the first people to mention it was Brian Boyle. And I've said my piece about Brian Boyle, a hockey player. But with the players, it's, it's fascinating because we know what hockey culture is. We've talked about it on this show. You don't need us to repeat it. But whether you think what some of these players are saying is genuine, and you can pick and choose which you want to think of that, I do think that there is something that has changed this scenario specifically that has made it so that players feel like, okay, we, we got to say something. Maybe it's because, you know, somebody like Evander Kane has basically said, no, I got to do this and I will call out people uh, if I have to. And I give full credit to Evander Kane, who I have earned, who has earned immense respect from everybody for this and people like JT Brown, who should have had it beforehand. You know what I mean? From the wider hockey public and things like that but they, they, they and then in the in the wider sport world lewis hamilton uh also yes. um he's been pushing a lot of drivers uh and and you know calling that them out saying why are you not speaking like up hamilton and you and you're right but also but the thing with lewis hamilton is interesting i don't want to do too much of an f1 diversion but lewis hamilton is one of the best formula one one of the best racing drivers in the world in a sport that's very very white there are very few people of color in, in racing of any kind, let alone F1. So he has the ability to do something that is a little bit different than even in hockey because, you know, the best players in hockey are not black. But you could argue the best driver that currently exists is a black racing driver. So that, that's an interesting thing with Lewis Hamilton that I, find, that I find fascinating. But when you read some of these things for the players and whether you want to genuine or not, because you can see what – somebody like Patrice Bergeron said, which actually, you know, is very good. You should read what he said. The Bruins posted it. Brayden Holpe, who has been a great ally for the LGBTQ community for a long time, so I genuinely will take what he says with very good, with, you know, at, at face value. I think, I think he genuinely cares. You know, when I see what Jonathan Taves said, Jonathan Taves is Captain Boring, but he said things that were actually very, very thoughtful and insightful. And I hope that what this means is, 
and Elliot Friedman talked about this, and it's basically where I stand. It's where a lot of people stand. Talking is great. I like to see that you mentioned it, although right now on social media you can't not mention it. But I want to see far more action on it, and I think that in some cases we are now seeing that, but it's a matter of is it just this moment in time? Or is it something that's further than that? And maybe because the NHL has Kim Davis uh, on board, that changes a little bit. And maybe Kim Davis gets the NHL to do things it wouldn't have otherwise done and maybe pushes the team in another direction. Any given team, you know, one of 32. I hope so. I'd like to see what happens when this is much more of a distant memory, this specific moment in time when the feelings are not as raw. We have to see. I hope that it changes. I want it to change because I don't like being associated with a sport that has so many issues in so many ways and no one wants to talk about them. And this was posted all before um, what happened with George Floyd sadly happened. But Evander Kane did a thing with TSN where he talked with a young, I think it was a triple A player in Ontario about race. He's also black and talking about race and hockey. And I think you should watch that uh, if you want an idea of what this is like. If, you, if you're not as familiar with the deep parts of what the race and hockey issue is so we will see where this goes uh, i don't know what is going on in the case with the case with florida we'll see where they go obviously you don't have to believe any word they say if you don't want to and that's fine because why would you this is the florida panthers an organization that has always said it's going to do something never actually done it but uh, i think my hope is that this moment in time is going to push players particularly bigger name players in this sport to actually do something and not leave it to Evander Kane and JT Brown to do it in the case of race. And in the case of homophobia, which is something obviously very near and dear to my heart, I hope that, that this does similar. Like, you have to talk about something when you see it happen. And I know in many cases in hockey culture, it's hard to say it because you're inundated with it, you're involved in it, you can't necessarily see it from the inside. But I hope now players are actually going to back up their talk with action. And I will give them the benefit of the doubt because I think that this is a unique moment in history that makes it so that they will actually do something. And maybe it will be the public pressure from people like us that make them do it. Maybe it's the pressure from somebody like Evander Kane, and I hope he continues to do what he is doing. And if you're, you know, if you're Keandre Miller, continue to do what you're doing, please. JT Brown, continue to do what you're doing, please. And we should support them and show that there is that backing up from the average fan and the average person who follows the sport closely so that they know we're going to have your back. And because these teams are very sensitive to what happens if there's a social media wave that happens in an instant, then the fear that they could be harmed in some way for their career, maybe it doesn't come in as play as much if we have their back as much publicly as we should. So that's a bit of a long-winded way of saying please support these players. And yes, you can question whether their motives or genuine, or whether these are scripted statements, what have you. But if we continue to push and say, yes, you got to continue to do this, and for the players that are continuing to do this, if we do visibly support them and back up their words with some action of our own, then I think maybe we can do something about this. Because in many ways, it's the fans that are going to push this. You know what I mean? And Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is just so much bigger than sports, sports and really. It's, oh, of course well, it is, but we, we There's just a lot of different things that need to happen. And, oh, I mean, at the end of the day, it's not about whether you believe the sports or anything. It's more about just stopping the, the 
the violence that this ends. I mean, this always ends and goes towards violence and we see it right now. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a hundred percent. I don't know if there's a high, if the hockey players are going to do any, but you I know, think, but, but here's what I've posting on Twitter are going to do anything about it. I understand that, but here's what I've always thought about when I think about sports and I think about the wider world that it ends up putting a lens up to. For many people, sports is a way to see the wider world if they don't see it otherwise. And that, I think, is, is why I think it is very important. But we don't need – we need what we need from players is, are players active, actively engaging in the community and pushing on communities to stop funding police as much, pushing on their teams to stop having – you know, running fundraisers for police as much and, you know, all this and glorifying them and their militarization. And that's what we need from players. We don't need, you know, just stupid charity, just PR things that the teams are already doing and to just become extensions of that and become extensions of the NHL PR and then just become tools of, you know, the issue, the the whitewashing of the real issues. Uh, we need actual local activism. And, you know, we're seeing right now the only way to affect change is in the streets. Um, and, you know, that's kind of how it go- how I think about it. I believe in action, and I believe that I think hopefully this is a moment where people realize that it's time for action and not just talking about it for a week. I hope that things change. I Listen, you can believe what you want as to whether it actually will or not, but I think I want to see I want to see Blake Wheeler turn his back on a police officer when he goes to drop the puck. Like that's what I want to see. What like, I, I'm be, I'll be interested to see if some players actually do something about it in in the future. I want to see I want we don't know yet because this is still so wrong. We don't have games. We're not going to have normal games until next year at the very earliest. So we will see. But what that happens. would be the change. Seeing Blake Wheeler, guys like that. You know, oh, not yeah, yeah. participate in those those staged PR uh, and fundraisers for the local police departments that are out there right now, beating, gassing, shooting rubber bullets, which are basically metal bullets with a rubber coating around them that can kill people. You, you know, like it's there's one agitator out there, and it's your local officer. Anyway, we will see where this goes and i as i said nine one one's a joke in your town there are many other discussions flavor flav so right it's amazing how you actually think about like that kind of music now and and i mean it should have registered already but this is like i mean this has been said for years and i mean it's not hard to figure it out but i hope that maybe we see maybe if anything what we see is hockey players realizing that saying nothing in many ways is now not acceptable and you have to say something even you know what i mean like i i know that you i i'm genuinely on the genuine display of apathy is better than insincere display of charity too but in hockey i think it's different because so many people don't talk period perhaps now we're going to see players talk and say this matters to me and hopefully that will actually push things forward and i do think hockey can be a lens into the wider world and can do a lot of good and i hope that it that it understands the opportunity it has and takes advantage of it. And these teams will figure that out too, because uh, maybe they will find out the hard way, which is probably what will happen. But I hope that that is something that we see. Uh, in terms of the actual hockey, 
which doesn't feel any point significant at this moment, but we should talk about it because it was news before uh, we came back to do the show again and how the NHL is planning to come back. I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's a plan. It's a plan. You are right. It is a plan. And I loosely, I mean, it's hard to do. Uh, I always remember what Herman Edwards says. A goal without a plan is a wish. So at least there's a plan and they have a goal. So there is something that we can say they're trying to do. And they did it in a way that feels like it's the best possible solution for which there is no good solution. Uh, my, one of my favorite phrases is democracy is the worst form of government except for all the others. Like this feels like from the NHL, the worst possible solution except for all the others. There's a lot of things that are wrong. Disagree. Hard disagree on both democracy being the best form of government besides all the, or the worst form of government besides all the others, and this playoff being, you know, the best of the available solutions. I said it was the worst possible solution except for all the others, which, in other words, is saying uh, it's bad, but uh, the other solutions were worse. That what I'm what I'm saying is that I don't think that's true. I think there's plenty of solutions that are better. I, I will Nothing. ask you then. Just end the season. <laughs> not really a possibility, unfortunately. Why not? Because I, I think it comes down to something that I feel has been lost in discussions about COVID-19 and everything. If you can come back and you can do it safely, and there's still so much we don't know, and I said this when we last did a show in April when we knew even less, if you can come back and do it safely, then you should. You have an obligation to do it if you can. Now, if you put your hand up and said, we cannot do this safely, people would understand that. But if it turned out that you could do it safely and you ended up not doing it, then the optics of that are terrible. And I don't think that any league, particularly the NHL, can afford to do that. You see what's happening with Major League Baseball, where it's just fighting between the union and the owners. And it's no, a disaster. I... And I don't think that the NHL, after working so hard, after shutting down a season needlessly, to build all that they've built, after all the lockouts, after all the junk, to throw it away, if you could do this safely, and it seems like they are going to do everything they can to do this safely. No. Here's, here's my issue with that. Is it's not about whether they can do it safely or not. This isn't the same discussion it was three months ago, and they're still not going to start for two months. The, the issue is it's not just about safely. It's about what you're doing to, this, what you're doing to uh, the product on ice, what you're doing to what you're risking, how much damage you're doing into the next season, and what changes you have to make to the next season. You're going to have seven teams that aren't going to be playing hockey for 10 months. That's a lot of hockey players you're going to be pissing off, getting it completely out of shape. I mean, this is – it's just – but the, the other it's thing. not it's not just about the safety it's you're you're screwing up the draft now i mean every time they keep delaying delaying and making choices and every new new item and new wrinkle in and change they make to the tr- traditional order of things adds three or four issues into the mix and three or four more factors uh, that change pretty much everything and impact 31 different teams 31 different ways and the it, that's it, they're missing the forest for the trees right now uh they're being penny wise pound foolish uh they don't understand the long-term impact this is going to have on the salary cap on players escrow 
uh, on you know revenue. Not only are you messing up this year's revenue, you're messing up next year's revenue. You're spending a lot of money to house players. To you know, you're risking players' safety and health, their family. You're risking workers, people who have to open and close the arenas uh, in these hub cities. The people that just live in the hub cities and ha and will get uh, you know, you know be at risk through this i mean we've lost sight of coronavirus with all the protesting and everything but it's not like it, it's gone away we could in two weeks see a ballooning of numbers because of all these protests even though this is something that is definitely worth protesting and getting you know it's not like this is for a haircut or something this is an actual good reason uh to get out of the house so but, you know, there's so much we don't know. This There's so much money they're spending to making this happen. And the reason they're doing it is because of immediate money and to appease owners and their immediate needs. And not because it's for the best of the players, not because it's for the best of the sport or the best of the league or the fans or anything. Uh, it, it really isn't. And I can't. I mean, it's. I'll be happy to have it. Sure, It'll be, when it's on, I'll like it and everything. But if we're talking about whether this was the best thing, it really wasn't. It clearly wasn't, and I won't really hear any argument that doesn't just point out how flawed this is and how we're going to be dealing with this for probably two seasons. You know, the 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 waves from this, and it's going to impact more than one season, more than one awarding of the Stanley Cup. Uh, it's going to impact you know players' pockets, millions and millions of dollars. Um, it's going to probably mess up a lot of teams, uh, which is fans aren't going to like. Um, so, you know, good luck. If you're a Phoenix Coyotes fan and you're hoping that things are turning around with your franchise, good luck. Cause this doesn't help you. Well, you know, you're spending a lot of money. You're not getting back as much HR as you need. The pie is going to get killed, um, with players escrow and everything, you know, now, here's where I stand on all of this. And you have every right to your opinion, because in many ways you're right. But here's where I stand on this. Personally, I said this before and I'll say it again. I think that, you know, to not play does probably more damage than to play. I understand that you are totally impacting next season that's going to happen no matter what because let's just say but this isn't about playing this is about playing in the format they're playing versus ending the season why can't they end the season and start the season up on regular terms on the regular time scale and everything because, you're playing at the same time but here's my issue with that here's my issue with that what the nhl is worried about and there's a legitimate reason to be worried about it is what happens in october november if there is a second wave of this comes with the flu you're not going to be able to really necessarily open up the arenas in October. And if you're going to comply by social distancing and all of the things you would need to comply by, some teams would not be able to put 3,000 people in the building. And that's just not economically feasible. So we don't have an answer to that. And I'm pretty sure even the Panthers, who have gotten dinged for attendance a million times, don't want to run games with 3,000 people in the building because that is – I mean, they lose money on certain games if there's 10,000. So – if they're forced by so one, only do three, you know. If I'm just... they're that worried about all of it, then they shouldn't be playing hockey. But period. Because you're that. again, it's it's you're spending too much money and you're not bringing in enough in. Well, it either then you're spending, but then you're losing all of the money by what you're not doing, and I think that's what all of these sports leagues are fearful of. If you don't do anything, what what do you lose if you do nothing? 
You know what I mean? Like that is the big concern, I think. And I think it's a legitimate concern that if you do nothing, then and you try to ride this out, you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know when the vaccine comes along that makes everything magically better. You don't know when things are going to return to February 2020 normal. So you have to roll with the punches and be nimble and be flexible. And I think considering the circumstances, this is probably not a bad way of doing it. Now, you could argue the ins and outs of it. But if the NHL's stated goal was always to award the 2020 Stanley Cup and time not being a factor now because the Olympics don't exist and they won't exist until next year, it will. They won't exist, exist anymore, anymore because you don't have time in the schedule because of this. Well, Again, well, there's yeah, so no, many not, implications not, down the road. I wasn't referring to the 2020, the Winter Olympics. Mm-hmm. I was referring to 2021 summer. Well, and, I mean, any, I mean, I mean, with any, with with, with any, any Olympics, Olympics or anything, or anything like, like this, this is, the. This is going to cause so much issues with escrow and into the next well, the, I, bargaining I, period that you're not going to be able to negotiate on the Olympics. You're not going to be able to. You're not going to be able to take care of a lot of issues because you're going to be, you're going to be unwinding from all the the issues that this has caused. I think you're going to be unwinding from this anyway because the pandemic has screwed so much up that you're going to have to unwind a, a Gordian knot regardless. So I think the NHL has decided this is the knot we'd rather untangle as opposed to the if we don't play until we can do this somewhat normally, it could be 10 months for everybody as opposed to... Okay, so then play with 16 teams in the playoffs. Here's why I here's why they didn't do that, and it's okay, because they it's, they wanted the bigger markets in, and they had to go that, to 24 yeah, teams to get to the bigger that. markets in. Yeah, again, but, there's this is rife with bad decision after bad decision for bad reason after bad reason. I, my point just continues to my case continues to be built. Thank you, Gary Bettman, for your consistent what, terribly bad ideas. Here's what I think about why they did it this way, and it comes down to. Gary Bettman works for 31 owners, and he needs 24 of them, I believe, to pass anything. Yeah, it would be 24. He needs 75% of the owners to pass off, let alone the PA, which is separate, but he needs 24 owners to pass off, uh, pass off offers. So if you're going to do 16 teams, well, what standard are you going to use for the 16 teams? If you use points percentage, if you use, you know, we roll it back to 68 games, well, then that puts different teams in the playoffs. So if you're on the bubble... If you're not the Panthers, but if you're the Blue Jackets, well, there's a certain plan you'd vote yes on, and there's a certain plan you'd vote no on. And all the teams in the bubble, in the West and the East, you're going to do that. And just then alone, you don't get to 24. So the NHL can't pass anything. So Gary Bettman, even if you're arguing that this is bad, and I can understand that you are, that's perfectly fair, he's trying to feed as many mouths as he can, make as many people happy. And while this is not good... I admit, this is not ideal. He has made as many people happy as he possibly can considering the circumstances. And whether you, and and, and I know you're going to say they shouldn't be happy, fair, they are, because this, again, the bad teams don't have to play anymore. There's no more regular season. That's The the, the crappy teams don't want to play anymore. The teams that are on the bubble have an opportunity now to play, and they're given their chance. I w- again, would you have liked fewer teams? Yeah, but if you did 22, you'd have an odd number, and they can't really make that work logistically. And if you had 20 again, you'd still have teams fighting over who got in, who got out. And again, Gary Bettman's got a lot of mouths to feed. So for all of the terrible that is happening, he has, in my view, c- 
come up with a solution that is as least terrible as you can possibly make it considering the circumstances again i mean i just think that is that's the type of logic that has gotten into the problems in real world situations that we talk to in the top off the top of the podcast and also the, has gotten the, the nhl the into NHL the, pro- the problem world. no but it's also got the same thinking that got the nhl into how many lockouts i mean it's i mean again you, I'm not you, you, you you're you're now having Sidney crosby and the pittsburgh penguins possibly not making it into the top 16 because they had to play some because you had to piece some schlub team that couldn't you know, make the playoffs when half the teams in the league make the playoffs. Over half the teams in the league make the playoffs. Like, come on. Like, Again, they, I they... don't like this in terms of, from a fairness perspective, it is not fair to the Pittsburgh. So, That's so, fine. so if here's the thing: if we have to set, if we if we have to accept the premise that they have to play, that you know, it's better for them to play no matter what, and they have to, you know, finish this year, and we have to accept all these premises are true. Why can't we accept the premise that it's not going to be fair no matter? what so why don't we keep to the rules everyone agreed to at the beginning of the season as I, how I, is that how is that too hard the issue well, is I, it's, it's hard because gary bettman can't lead instead he takes the easiest way which but, is but to appease the, the biggest mouse the in the lowest can i finish my point like yeah. the issue is that gary bettman just appeases as many people as he can you know he just get he goes see now i'm off my my kilter because you just cut me off but Gary Bettman, it's his job to be a leader. And, you know, instead what he does, it's he just, frankly, just does the owner's bidding. And certain owners like Chicago, New York, they wanted to be in the playoffs. And they used the leverage that they had to to make sure that Gary Bettman, Colin Campbell, and, and Bill Daly and everybody fell in line and the other owners fell in line and made sure that they 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 realized that the 24 playoff format, which suit which just made sure all of them fit in, was the best way to move forward. When in reality, they could have done 24 teams, or I mean they could have done, you know, some teams on the bubble play each other and had to play in. But they could have guaranteed teams like the Penguins safe harbor. I mean, this is a team that has definitely earned the playoffs this year, um, and they don't have to. They shouldn't have to harm their chances at the Stanley Cup by playing extra games. Uh, I mean, oh, there's just the the, as the, the uh, you know where and when they choose to be to care about fairness is very selective, and it seems to be selective to where and where they get, you know, where get Bettman has the big owners with all the power that, you know, he needs because of the TV market or he needs because they, you know, bring in the most money. It's a good uh, thing that the there's a lot of on the bubble is basically what you're saying. There's a lot of people who are probably hearing this and saying, oh, that's the way it should be, yada, yada, yada. And that's fine if you think that, but I clearly think that it's caused the NHL to constantly following that strategy, following owners like uh, Jeremy Jacobs and uh, Dolan and uh, just catering to their specific um, needs has crippled his own baby pet project that is the expansion in the Sun Belt, that is parody that he's been trying to do. And, you know, he's basically cut off 
his nose to spite his face. So you're not a fan of a luxury tax is what you're telling me. I'm way more of a fan of a luxury tax than what we have right now, but they didn't want they wanted the hard cap. Yeah. It, because yeah, here's here's the secret. They don't want to spend more money. They want they want to well, they don't want to want to spend more money. The Leafs yeah, want yeah. to spend more money, but no. Uh, they they don't they don't, really, they don't really want to spend money on player salaries though because they know with a with a luxury tax or you know a hard cap that keeps going up that player salaries move too fast in advance and at the end of the day they don't want to pay the workers that much because lo and behold they're evil assholes and that's how they became sports owners ah yes that's that gets the point so if we accept Let the, the street that... people burn it down absolutely ah. So anyway, as we accept the premise that this is what's going to happen if we can play, and uh, hopefully they do, let's focus on the team that we cover mostly here, which is which is the Panthers, and they do get in, and I'm sure that the Panthers were one of the louder voices in saying, let's expand the field, because we would have had a chance. Whether they actually had a chance legitimately to make it in an 82-game regular season, they probably they didn't, didn't, but it's irrelevant, at this, it's irrelevant at this point, because the pandemic screwed it up to the point where that doesn't matter, but they wouldn't have made it, probably. Uh, we can all say that they had roughly a 10%. It was, it was somewhere between 10 and 20 to make it at that point. No, they did play two pretty Absolutely. decent games before yeah. the pause, but it doesn't matter at this point. That's irrelevant. Um, so th they do get in, and it's brought up another discussion that I know is going to surely excite some Panthers fans that listen to this. Uh, what does this, what does whatever they do in this concocted tournament actually say about the Panthers currently and say about the Panthers in the future? And there is a lot that can go into this discussion. And as I, I, we talked about it in February where we were railing against what was happening. Like, if the Panthers missed the playoffs in a normal universe, then there would have been huge changes in, the, uh, in this organization. I'm convinced of it. You know, whether that was Talon fired, something big would have changed. But now, because this is a pandemic and if you fire a GM, you have to fire everybody and rebuild it from scratch, you can't really do that. So everybody's kind of stuck. And that's with teams that have almost as bad, if not worse, situations as Florida does. I mean, Detroit didn't even fire their coach, and Jeff Blaschel probably should have been fired already. So in the case of the Panthers, they go into this with, again, if you read Dale Talon's quotes, of course he's optimistic about what the Panthers are going to do because he's Dale Talon. But whether it actually means much for this team on the ice – Let's okay. I'll go over a couple scenarios, and you can tell me, Tommy, what you would judge this team on, and how you would judge this team. Because I don't think the answer is going to change all that much. If they lose to the Islanders in this concocted play-in series, which is definitely feasible in a coin flip, uh, you're not going to change your opinion on the Panthers. If they won, but then lost to say the Flyers in a, another concocted series, uh, you probably wouldn't change your opinion all that much about where the Panthers are. I'm assuming that's where you're going. It well. It... Basically, they for them to change my opinion, they need to do other things outside of performing well in this playoff tournament. Um, we can get into those things later. But yes, the, the, what they can do in the playoff tournament, they have to beat the Islanders. If they lose to the Islanders, it shouldn't make you more angry. It should just keep. It should keep you at the same level of anger you had all year when they kept underachieving when it just didn't get put together um but if they make it to the then if they beat the islanders it's like you can treat it like okay they just trickled into the playoffs mm -hmm. but they have to 
they basically have to play well enough to win and get screwed over in a double overtime game seven and lose you know in that next round or something probably going to happen let's be honest yeah basically they have to play basically adam henry has to come back you know but the referee decides not to call vincent trocek being tripped on an empty net well, Riley Smith was the one that was actually tripped, but which again, also, which is also true. I, 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 Greg Wasinski wrote like a a like like biggest grievances column uh, for like all thirty one teams. This has happened like maybe a month or two ago, and the number one for Florida was not Trocheck was tripped, which is hilarious because I think that for most Panthers fans that would probably be number one. Um, but I agree with you. If they lose to the Islanders, it doesn't really change the fact that they were a bubble team that's still a bubble team. And can they beat the Islanders? Hundred percent, yes. It's a it's a toss up, no matter what. But, I mean, as I said probably before, if Sergei Bobrovsky finds himself now that he hasn't played hockey for four months, who the heck knows? I mean, this could be just a goalie gets hot and steals a series. Uh, and, and you're right about what happens when you go on. Let's play Boston, Washington, Tampa, Philly, who knows? Uh, it, they need to give a good account of themselves. They need to be the team that we thought they could be. And I think in many ways they can do this because they have the best coach in the league. Well, one of the one best, of the best coaches. Yeah, they have one of the best coaches in the league. You have a goalie who can steal a series. He's done it before. Recently, if you have those two things, then it's not impossible that they could get on a run and get hot. And it's you have to remember that everything's been, sh- you know, the Magic Eight Ball has been shaking up for everybody at the same time in the same way. So oh, you kind of are like it's in any other season let's just say the Panthers made it in the wild card one spot this year by like, you know, the skin of their teeth uh, and lost in five to the light. Like you, yeah. Like it's, it's not that, I guess, I, I don't know where I was going with that one, but I think your thing you say, like, <laughs> Sorry, we, we were talking about it before. Even if they lost in the first round to the Lightning, what? and you would have predicted in a normal year, that's what would have happened. You still probably wouldn't have changed your opinion on where the Panthers organization is. And I don't think even oh. in this scenario that changes. Is that what you're going for? Yeah, I think what I was, and then you know, I think I was trying to segue into this this thought here that you know, there's three main questions we had entering the season that we wanted the Panthers to answer. It's can they make the playoffs? Can they compete? Are they a team that can compete in the playoffs? Because that's a different type of hockey. Can they compete in a series? And do they have the ability to win a series? And then the third is, you know, that other part I was talking about is, do they have the right person at the helm in the front office to be taking the, that we know we can improve upon this team and get there and keep Barkov and, you know, win playoff series and possibly get to a cup final? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer to the first questions are unknown. Well, unknown. we can't we can't make the playoffs. We, we that's that's it's kind of it's kind of hard to incomplete. say. Incomplete playoffs. So unknown. It's, incom- it's incomplete. Unknown, incomplete. Yes, fair. And then the other question, unknown, incomplete. And then when it comes to Talon, we were strongly leaning to no, but then the pandemic screwed everything up. So, I mean, I was again. We were. I was talking about it. You remember. Right, right. Like the last thing we did before the pause was we had that show with David with David Dwork, and this was when they were really bad, and it looked as if like the entire front office was going to get blown up. He wasn't willing to go there, but I certainly was. Like it looked like everything was going to change, but now 
it's just there's a holding pattern there's nothing that they can do at this point because again you have to change so much personnel in such a short time and you don't know what anything's going to look like it behooves no team to do anything to do anything like that even if it was legitimate and if you wanted to argue dale Towns should be fired then it's perfectly fair because he probably should have been if the season continued on the way it was but i think right now the focus for the panthers is is can you at least show that the lingering memory that everybody who follows the Panthers had was not the last two games before the pause. It was February when they were awful, when they were a complete dumpster fire. Can you at least make it seem that you are not that team? Because in January, while they were not playing the best hockey, they were still winning and there were a lot of good things happening. Can you remind people of what the good Panthers looked like? Because we saw the good Panthers at many points during the season. Now, what does that look like with this team that had a really incomplete roster and made a Trotrek trade that they felt like they had to because they had to shake up the room because things were going really badly? I don't oh, have any yeah. answer to that question. And they're playing a team in the Islanders who were almost as bad, if not worse, heading into the pause too. So, again, everything's jump ball at this point, but from a Panthers perspective, if you beat the Islanders and you hold yourself to a decent account against a better team in the next round, does that change the way I think about the Panthers' future? No, not really. But does it at least give me an idea to say, maybe I will give you the benefit of that when I shouldn't probably because it's the Panthers? I think that's what the, the thing is. Like, again, could they win the Stanley Cup? Yeah, but I mean, are they going to? Probably not. But, you know. Statement of the century. Well, I mean, they, they technically have a chance to win the Stanley <laughs> Cup. And, you know, I mean, at the end, when the pause happened, they probably didn't. Uh, I... I just I find it interesting now just because for for the teams like Florida this is a great opportunity in many ways teams like the Panthers you could argue in from one angle don't actually have a lot to lose they have nothing to lose and, and well just their health and possibly well, just their health. Well, yeah, yeah yeah of course and um I want to get to that in a second but in terms of like what this team's actually going to look like because I think it's fair to talk about this from an actual hockey perspective I believe the number is, what, 28 skaters that you're allowed to have on this roster, and that's going to include all of the some AHL players because there is no AHL season anymore. And you were telling me unlimited goalies. I thought I heard three, but could be unlimited goalies. I heard, I heard unlimited, um, and I, I kind of put together a tentative list. You're thinking with 28 players, you're probably going to have like a 18-10, 17-11 split. I would and I mean, so. And and the thing with the Panthers, obviously with Pissick, who's oh, who knows if Q's going to line him up as a D or a forward, but you bet he's probably going to play both if he plays at all. You know, I'm just assuming he'll play, but I'm fingers crossed. Anything could happen in this new crazy 2020 world. Maybe Pissick doesn't play, um, but. Uh, yeah, so I have 17 forwards, 10 D. I would definitely pick Pissick's on that list. And then I kind of have a couple people who could battle for the last spot. Um, and then I have four goalies. You know, they have five goalies that they could bring, but I don't see them bringing more than four. I, don't uh, I think four is right. So it, I, it, it, the, the, the real thing is who's going to be picking this list. I mean, I would imagine this is probably just a list from Q with some talent input. But at the end of the day, it, it won't, if this is a playoff tournament, um, you know, I think you kind of just have to give 
cue the, the, the list and be like, here's maybe, you know, 35 skaters or 32 skaters, <laughs> pick your 28 or something. They have, on terms of contracts, 43 that are not goalies. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's pretty easy to for the Panthers to get down to 28. I think there's a noticeable drop off around 26, 27 that should even so be practicing with the team. Look at the 13 forwards that are on their ro- that were on their roster right before the pause. You have Dreinhund who was on IR who did play and was tolerable. You have Borgstrom who, I mean, at this point we'll get to Borgstrom in a second. I would assume he's going to be there. Owen Tippett's going to be healthy. He's probably going to be that's 16 forwards. And then I'm assuming after that, maybe it's like it would be perhaps Hepo Niemi and Lilo Starinen, I think, would probably well, be the guys. Yeah, I mean, I have Huberto, Barkoff, Hoffman, Dadinov, Connolly, Hall of Vitrano, Achari, Sevier, Boyle, Tonato, Sorella, Walmark, Tippett, Borgstrom, Luol Starin, Martel. Because Donnick Martel's got some NHL experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have Hunt, um, but I'm sure they'll have Hunt. But I figured with Sevier, Boyle, and Tonato, mm-hmm. like, I mean, and Connolly kind of even, like, what do you really need? You're pro- again, but we're, we're splitting hairs at this point. But I think yeah. but the thing that'll be interesting to me is because of these practices, everyone's basically, if you are not in the top, like, six, top six forwards or top two or three D, you got a chance to actually play. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know how much what was happening in March matters anymore. You know what I mean? So if, let's say, Henrik Borgstrom has really good practices, could he play? He could. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I think I... that that's, that's, that's the one thing. Like, the list could be brought in, but Joel Quenville could say, you know what, I really like X, Y, and Z, and he could play. And because we have nothing to lose, what the hell, I'm going to try this. And it might work. Because I think, honestly, coaching matters a lot in this tournament when everyone's starting from jump ball and pretty much everyone is 100% healthy. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm getting. I mean, Q's not going to be looking at this kind of like, like you just said, he's not going to be looking at it like, oh, what the hell, I might have a chance, let's try this. I think he's going to be looking at this in a very um, strategic way. He's probably thinking about, all right, I have 28 skaters. I, I you know, we're going to be having them at, these 28 skaters is basically the list I have for what I'm thinking is four rounds and we try to win the cup. We have a couple different matchups. We're going to have to run. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, we're, we have a couple different matchups. We have to run. Uh, We're going to need a couple of these types of players. We need a couple of these types of players. We need a couple guys to keep the tempo up in practice where, you know, like that you could see a guy like Paul Thompson get called in because uh, Quinville knows that he could, rely on Thompson to be the a guy pushing the four check in practice and keeping these guys up to pace. Uh, you know, rather than a guy like Hepo Niemi who would, you know, is in my like one of the mentions for my last spot among with, you know, Thompson, Marchment, a guy they traded for who's a big body who you can always see an NHL coach like you know one player it won't be though. The guy who was caught with um, making stupid comments on Instagram. Jake Roadwall. Yeah, yeah, that was that was another great hockey story of people being idiots. For so Jake Roadwall's uh, defense, I think he was just part of the group chat and maybe liking things. I don't remember any comments that came specifically for him. Not that it's any sort of vindication for him. It's uh, not. Definitely not. <laughs> yeah. No, um, I just don't want any lawsuits. Um, 
Who knows? Uh-huh. So, <laughs> and that's, and for D, it's also pretty simple. You've got the eight that are on. Yeah, Ekblad, Ekblad, Yandel, Strawman, Matheson, Pissick, Weger, Stillman, Brown, and then you probably have Keeper, Prisky. Yeah, it would be Super. Keeper and Prisky would be the other two. Maybe and Prowl if you're bringing up another one. I wouldn't if you're if you, I wouldn't. I think if they're if Quinville's thinking I'm using Pissick as a forward, which if you have eight, 17, 18 forwards you're allowed to have on a roster, I don't know why you'd be using Pissick as a forward. But you never know. Quinville has many ideas in his head. Uh, but I would probably have Prowl up. He's old enough. He's played in the AHL playoffs. He's played in. Uh, a little in the NHL, I believe, as well. He's old enough. He's good enough. He's put up points. He's the next bestie, as far as I'm concerned. Maybe mm-hmm. you bring up Tommy Cross, who I didn't think looked too bad in his NHL game. Um, mm-hmm. And then so, goalies, obviously, it's Borowski, Dreger, Montembeau, and if they can, if I, if the unlimited goalies is true, it's, it's. I think they bring up Desiree or Derosiers. Uh, I would. Yeah, Derosiers. Yeah, yeah, my. It's, it's so there. funny, and you know what's so funny about this? Because obviously you're going to play Bobrovsky in these games, but you know what's funny about it? It's like because because at the end of this, when Drieger was actually playing pretty dang well, all things considered, you know, it, 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 it makes you laugh a little bit considering like again nothing matters at this point. But you know, but but that's why I'm saying like if you look at the Panthers from the perspective that they're that they're in. You know, you go into a series with a team that's almost even with you, the Islanders. I mean, they beat them three times this year, the Islanders did, but they're basically coming in even. They're both going to be 100% healthy at this point. You know, what are they, What are you going to see when they see each other? They're going to see basically the same team. You know, well, so- I think you're going to see, a, I think you're going to see a, a, a much different team, actually. I think... Quinville knows that it's going to be a, a matchup heavy team. He's going to a team that uh, they play well together. There's maybe one or two star players, but it's it's a unit you're playing against. And the guy behind the bench is very good defensively. He knows how to possess a game and he knows how to respond in matchups um, as an away coach. Uh, and so Quinville knows that he's going to have to, that it's, it's, Quinville's probably approaching this like it's going to be a very tough matchup, but he's probably approaching it as I have a few, I have a team that's high skilled that has a better roster. We're better on paper. We should win this. But our issue this year was playing as a team when we needed to was to sh- was to show up at certain points when we really needed to was to play consistently when we had a couple of hard games was to play consistently through all of those hard games. Uh, and so he's probably going to be thinking, how am I going to be able to do that versus a team like the Islanders who are going to blanket them in the neutral zone, who are going to all be pulling in the same direction? Uh, and their staple is being able to play the same way any day of the week, any place, you know, any rink, um, you know, whether their fans or not. Yeah, whether, you know, they have their first line together or the first line apart or, you know, who's scoring, it doesn't matter because they don't – they have Barzell, sure. Uh, some people were like Anders Lee and, you know, the other Islanders. They've but... got plenty – and they've got good defensemen. You know, they're going to have um, some guys back who are otherwise – Yeah, healthy. yeah, because they're – you know, Boychuk's been getting healthy and, you know, uh, so it's – yeah, one of the guys who was not tough. healthy was Adam Pellick, and they played really well yeah. with him. So, you know, and you think about 
And that's why I'm saying, like, I, I think the Panthers do have a little bit better, you know, top-end talent, but I think the Islanders are a slightly deeper team. Obviously, I think that, you know, when I look at the goaltending, I mean, on an ideal day, the Panthers have better goaltending. Who knows what's going to happen in the series? But I think that it gives the it gives them a chance to prove some things about themselves. And because these aren't technically playoff games, but they're going to be played like playoff games, you get to learn a little bit about what this team would look like in that in that scenario. Um, they will probably have three games as the road team, which is you'll have uh, they'll have they won't have last change. Uh, however, that is dealt with. We'll, they'll figure that out. But again, I'm I'm interested to see what they actually can do with this because I, I think this is an opportunity for them to redefine themselves in many ways. And for a lot of teams like them, like they can't, like we know what the Penguins are. You know what I mean? We, the good teams, Tampa's and the Boston's of the world, we know what they are. I don't still don't know what the Panthers are, but they, you can use this time to redefine themselves. And perhaps this hard reset gives them a chance to be something that they haven't been. Again, it's all hypotheticals because if they play or not, who knows? And then when they do play, you've got no idea what it's going to look like. Let's let's. I'm interested to see what it might look like, you know, because they, they have a chance of at least putting in a decent account of themselves to the point where people will start to, you know, reconsider or people like me can start to say, maybe we will reconsider what we think of you, you know, and maybe the, the team can reconsider what it thinks about itself because at the, the way things are going towards the end of that stretch, I mean, they looked so defeated and so beaten down. Maybe the pause actually did them some good. We will find out. We'll see. I mean, the the hardest part is they were all separated. They all went home. They were all, you know, and now you're kind of starting again. It's like the beginning of a whole new season. And the issue was getting all these guys to be on the same page to work, getting a lot of guys to accept their roles in certain situations, um, you know, even including Barkov and Huberto at times, uh, you know, Barkov probably need to be a little better defensively at certain points or, you know, step up and, and be a little more offensive in, in certain points. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of it didn't, ha a lot of it didn't happen with, uh, how there wasn't support roles filled in. They didn't, you know, Quinville spent a lot of the season figuring out who was who, how he was going to use them. And now hopefully with this break, he's figured out, how he wants to use them. If you but... give Joe Quenville three months to do anything hockey related, I, I would believe, you know, that Joel Quenville can figure something out in three well, months. Well, he had three months to figure out the Florida Panthers and uh, you know, that didn't work out too well. well. So but, but I mean like he's you can imagine Joel Quenville sitting in his office on the beach in Fort Lauderdale if when if and when they were open, going like, what am I gonna do here? You know, because he's a hockey coach and he's always thinking about these things. And all coaches are, but Joel Quenville specifically. Like, I think that in many ways for him, well, he saw coming to Florida as a challenge. I think now he sees this as another big challenge. Like, he's proven that he's already one of the best coaches of his generation. But if he can take a team that's kind of mediocre and even in a fake contrived tournament, get them to punch above their weight, it, again, it proves something to, I mean, all coaches have egos. But for Joel Quenville, that boosts his ego even more. Like, this is a great test for a coach. You know what I mean? And for Joel Quen for all these for all these coaches, a lot of good coaches in this tournament, you know, in, if, if everything is equal, 
I'd like to have the best coach available, and Joel Quenville is one of the best coaches available. Right. Yeah, so. but I mean, the the issue is he's got to get a lot of guys who are just apart for a long period of time back in rhythm and moving, and then he also has to give them new roles that they weren't living up to, you know, previously or they haven't played before, and he has to all make it work within five games, uh, or you know, it, they're back back at home. So it's 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 a big task and it's certainly not just going to be reliant on how well Quinville uh is as a coach because this is a new experience for him too um and it's going to be reliant on a lot of guys taking the roles it's going to be reliant on you know whether Matheson's new role is to not play every night is to maybe get Stillman like maybe Brown and Stillman and Keeper kind of have to play a little more and Matheson has to sit out he doesn't even get to play forward maybe Pissick has to sit out and he has to accept that and there can't be, uh, you know, this is a short tor- tournament. When we look at the, you know, the the World Cup of Hockey, um, you know, that's probably the closest thing to what we're going to see in this playing round and, and probably this whole playoffs World series. It's going to be. Yeah, it's, it's, it's more like a world. Yeah, you're right. World Championships, World Cup. That's a good way of putting yeah. it. Like that, that's, this is the closest we're going to see. So what we saw was it was about how, Team, how players accepted their roles, played simple and played within them, uh, and things just kind of worked out or they didn't, and you kind of knew right away. Uh, and the the thing was about keeping that going. Once you you know finding out if you had if you sparked or not, and if you had the spark, how long you could keep it. Um, that's yeah, you know that's, that's how that's you're gonna go. Giant roster is like you can make a change instantly if it's not working, and if in the case of Joel Quenville, I mean, if something doesn't work in game one, you have to change it in game two. You have no well, choice. I mean, Joel Quenville, I mean, it's going to be most likely that every NHL coach is planning that game one and game two are going to have different lineups, that there's going to be interchangeable parts in the lineup that you're going to have to be moving out because you're going to have to keep guys' legs going or you're going to have to be getting guys. Maybe, maybe certain players didn't have the camp you needed them to, but you need to get them going. Uh, but you can't play them every day because they're third liners, they're veteran third liners. You need them, but you you got to get the fresh legs Brian in there. Doyle, yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot that's going to have to happen, and there's going to be a lot of chaos. There's going to be a lot of chaos on the bench because, you know, there's they're going to be trying to stick to matchups. You know, there's going to be a lot of people who have to stay focused in what their role is, and they might be wanting to get more time. They might be wanting to try to uh, extend shifts. But they have to come off the ice because they have to get, you know, the right matchup on the line. They they can't hang out. Um, you know, it, there's there's a and, whole and lot that's this, going on. All of this could be totally changed if Sergei Bobrovsky plays well or not, which is also right. Important. But yeah, also, and that, I mean, like right now, like if you're Chris Drieger, and this is the last I think we'll mention on this before we shift to draft stuff, which I know you want to get to. Um, if you're Chris Drieger, like the other thing for Florida that I think is interesting is because Drieger actually played pretty well before Mm. everything shut down like the other thing with the goalie is and it's the same question as the rangers and it's one of the most fascinating things if you've got multiple goalies and the panthers in many ways they don't have multiple goalies but they have one who is on who's teetering on the brink in many ways how quickly do you pull the plug you know if if bobrovsky has a bad like first 20 minutes like is it trigger the rest of the way it's it's interesting and i think oh my god i'm i'm honestly having flashbacks to the flyers with the in and out, in and out, in and out with Bobrovsky. No, 
no, I'm going to shut this down right now for all Florida Panthers fans in their head that's thinking Chris Dreger deserves any fucking ice time. No, 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 in no, this no. Playoff. He doesn't deserve it until he proves that. No, 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 no. He can't. He, he, no. This is you paid ten million dollars to get Bobrovsky. This whole thing works with, on a Bobrovsky or not. This is a brand new season. You have to, you have to give it to oh, him. I'm not, this I'm is not the five games. Anyway, of course, I'm not starting with Dreger in any way. Well, no, 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 no. Listen, listen. Let me finish. This is five. This the Islander series is Bobrovsky every every minute. I mean, maybe if he's getting shelled and it's like six nothing and you're you know mercy pulling him, but he's going back out there next game because the thing is you need to make Bobrovsky work in Florida right now. And it's not about Chris Dreger. Chris Dreger is never going to unseat Sergei Bobrovsky until he's off the roster. So I don't want Dreger getting any playoff time unless Bobrovsky's off this roster or injured. The the thing is. Dreger's momentum, his hotness, whatever you want to call it, is gone. He's not that good of a goalie. He's maybe a standard AHL goalie, a guy you can call up a third stringer, and that's way better than his projection was, you know, even recently. Like he's he's played good games, but he's also gotten very lucky. He's also gotten very sheltered, and it's been more the teams played good in front of him because. If we're going to be honest and just be short about it because we've gone into too much depth on this top topic, they just didn't play well with Bobrovsky and Bobrovsky didn't play well with them because they were learning each other. And uh, putting Dreger in net is the wake-up call they needed because if they didn't play well, if they didn't play the way they had to play, they'd get smoked. And that's just the simplest way to, to state it. He There was a lot of goals that should have been scored on him that they got lucky. He's not very... It's just he's not an NHL level goalie, and there's you're gonna get blown out if he he plays most likely. Yeah, and the, the I, but the I, bigger I, the bigger issue is that even if Borowski stumbles, you have to make it work. Ten million dollars for six more seasons. You're not you're not going well, anywhere with them. Going up, the cap's gonna be flat. So yeah, yeah, well, you're not buying him out, and you if you. He, if you pull the plug on him in this playoff series, if you pull him out, even if he has a bad three games, and you don't play him in that fourth game, you're you're risking the everything, everything. We know goalies ha, are more head cases and more mentally like particular than other than other players, uh, and it, we. We've seen with Matheson how important that is. But we're talking goalies here. We're talking Bobrovsky, who's already been through this with a Brzezgalov situation. Uh, and basically... Uh, what happened last year in Columbus, yeah. Yeah, so there's there there's no reason to sour this right away because you think Chris Dreger... This, if this would... Like, this isn't anybody. This is... I mean, this everybody... What the Rangers have. This isn't what the Rangers have. Yeah, right this... This isn't, you know, if this was Spencer Knight, we'd be talking about something completely different. Correct. I mean, even if this was Montembeau playing well, I'd still be saying not a chance. And you know how much I love Montembeau, uh -huh. and I'd want to give him his starts. Not a chance. I don't even want to see the, all right, we're going to give Bobrovsky the first two games, then Dreger a game, then Bobrovsky. No, but, you know, God, no. Please, like, God, it's, no. Don't do that. It's got to be Bobrovsky was brought in to be the playoff horse. He's the, he's the only guy that's won multiple Veznas that has suited up for the Panthers. He's the only guy who can steal a series on this roster. I mean, we're talking maybe Huberto or Barkov 
could win a series. But other than that, if you look at this roster, there's no Crosby. There's no. There's nobody who's going to steal a roster up a game other than Bobrovsky because he's in a position goaltender to do that, and he can and he did it last playoffs against Tampa Bay. To There's the best no team in recent NHL yeah. history in the regular season. If we're if we're down 0-3 in a series, and it's Bobrov, even if Bobrovsky's the reason we're down 0-3, he's the only reason we'd be able to come back. It wouldn't be because of Dreger or anybody else. Yeah, I mean, that's just a hard hard truth. There is no leash for Bobrovsky. There is no leash. He's he's off the leash because he owns the crease. That's his crease. You paid him. You made that decision when you paid him a ludicrous this amount is, of money. This is his after, time. Yeah, after you knew you were going to draft Spencer Knight, you still paid him this ludicrous amount of money. The, so you made your decision at that moment that you were going to ride him. You're going to do or die with Bobrovsky, and you have to live with it. And if you don't, you send signals to Bobrovsky, your fans, the skaters on the ice, that you're, you don't mean what you say. You can't stick to your commitments, and it's just not going to work out. And it's what has plagued the Flyers' goaltending situation, and I saw in how many playoff series where they just switch on their goalies too easily, and it, it will not go well. It just will not and the 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 worst thing to do is for fans to be asking it the if Bobrovsky has a bad first period or a bad game one to start saying Dreger 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 it's the worst 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 thing for Florida it'd be it'd be worse than Tom Morrell I swear to God it really would ah. because if Bobrov if Bobrovsky somehow comes out and has a great playoffs or even if he stumbles regains his confidence and puts together a good playoffs whether they win lose or draw. That's huge. If you can end on that big note, build off of that, you have a chance of turning this contract around. That's the right. only thing I care about this moment is who's going to be the GM and getting Bobrovsky confident and comfortable with the crease and getting him to be the main man in Florida because it's him, Barkov, Hubert, Neckblad, ride or die. That's what Florida has to live with. I agree with you, and uh, let's go to the draft because that's a thing you like. And uh, I love it. I love it. Let, let's focus on just the weirdness of the format very briefly. Um, the Panthers, even if they lose, could still technically get the first overall pick. I mean, probably not. If they do not, if they don't win in this opening round, it's in points percentage order of the teams that got eliminated plus the seven that didn't get included. So they would be probably picking tenth, eleventh, something like that, maybe twelfth, depending on like yeah. what happens. So where they would have been picking otherwise, if they win, then they're picking 16, 17, whatever. Uh, and we'll see where that goes. By the way, NHL, you reseed after this play-in round. There is no reason to bracket it after this. You could bracket it once you've gotten into that round, but please reseed. It's the stupidest idea not to. And I don't care if that means the Panthers play the Lightning. It doesn't matter. It should be reseeded. You've got to give these teams at least somewhat of an advantage. Because even if you're 10th, you're still not as good as the first team. Anyway, for the draft. Um, you were telling me about the defenseman to review, uh, which I did my best to review, and because uh, they still need to draft defensemen, that hasn't changed. Um, and I'll give you the floor to talk about them because there were five you mentioned, and I looked into a couple of them. I was reading Scott Wheeler, I was reading some of these uh, these these profiles on these defensemen, and uh, it doesn't matter what the Panthers do in this series; they still need to draft one. Um, where uh, you more high on the D now than you were prior to all of this? Well, I, I I think that there's really good second round defensemen and back half of the first round defensemen in, in this draft. Um, you know, I think it's a it's an average draft. 
Um, but I did want to just point out that the the way they're run, running the draft this year and how they're doing all the draft order and all of that uh, makes me like the playoff format. I'll tell you that. You know, it's it's that bad in comparison. Uh, it is a pro. It is uh, a creative solution to a problem that didn't exist. Yeah. Is yes. And it was all. I'll about, agree with that you, phrasing you give it for sure. Do you like that one? I mean, yeah. that's 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 the, that's the way somebody put it for the draft. I'm like, I can see it. It's actually not that complicated. Let's say Ottawa. Um, Anaheim. It's more unnecessary. It, yeah, it kind of is, but I get where they're coming from. Yeah. Uh, let's say Detroit, Ottawa, and Anaheim get the top three picks in this first lottery, which is taking place at the end of this month. Then there is no second lottery. Everybody else is a placeholder. That would be the eight teams that wouldn't have made uh, the playoffs otherwise. Um, and what that is, if like if placeholder team B wins the third overall pick, then they'll have a second lottery featuring all the teams that didn't make it out of um, the preliminary around the four in the east and the four in the west, they'll they'll stack them based on their odds, and then, you know, somebody will win that third overall pick, whether it's say the Coyotes or whoever the hell it is, and that could be the case for the second pick, the first pick, it could be the first and second. It's it's kind of crazy, but you'll it, it'll work when you see it. It'll make sense, um, and that means the Panthers still have a chance to actually get the first pick. They they won't. I'm not going to bother with that. So let's just focus on the defensemen. Um, we know that there's only one really decent one at the top of the draft. And then it gets thin I, until you get later. And I don't think that there's a number one defenseman in the. Well, I, I the thing is, you never know with defensemen. You know, they always take longer. Did yada you know yada. That when I posted that uh, that uh, that thing that Jonathan Willis wrote at the Athletic that you should draft defensemen at the back end of the draft, and I, and I was joking like this is entirely written for my co-host at Y Hockey. Yeah, this it's great. You draft. You draft. Most ever. Yeah, usually you try to draft your your high end forwards in in the first round, and then second, third, you draft your defenseman, maybe a goalie, uh, and then the back half you draft D and those small Europeans or overlooked Europeans. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Knew you liked that piece. Uh, in terms of the defenseman for this draft, because let's just assume the Panthers are not in a position to take the best defenseman, which is Jamie Drysdale, but even then he's not, you know. You know, when you think about, like, Scott Wheeler has an eighth overall, you know, when you think about him in terms of a defenseman, just in terms of, like, a prospect, you know. Eric Desjardins. There okay, you go. okay, I, I can see that. Like, I, I think there's a few defensemen uh, that can be first pairing. You got a really good number two on on a decor or a number one on a non-playoff team. or You know, like, I, I think there's a couple Eric Johnsons here. Uh, you know, there's a couple, I mean, there's Brodines. there's, I mean, I'm happy with this draft of defensemen because there's a lot of defensemen that just are good in defensive end. I was good with their stick. some of them and you were, and you were, and I was like, Oh, he's a good defensive defenseman. I'm like, I know why Tommy likes him now. Yeah. And, and they don't mean that like in the Erica Branson or like the Andre Lilia or, you know, type of way. They mean like this, these are more like Brodine, Yarmolson. Hamilton kind of way. Yeah, I mean, like, there's, I mean, there's a couple guys that when I I look at them, I think, you know, they could end up like a Yarmolson type. They could play that role on a team. They could, uh, you know, end up becoming a Vlasic or somebody like that. A better version of Mackenzie Weger is kind of. Yeah, or or you know, and and there's not if you're drafting somebody in the second round and they turn out to be Mackenzie Weger, that's great. I mean, yeah. like, that's that's a good defenseman, and. You know, I think that's where your expectations are in this draft. I mean, there's a couple forwards that I think can be, you know, franchise players, top players on their team. But I mean, this is a a deep draft, but it's deep in 
uh secondary players you know second line centers first line wingers but not like potential guys with potential this is not a draft for finished products i think yeah and and i would say that you know there's if there are people who end up with really high-end finished products uh i i think you know it's gonna be i don't know if they're gonna be coming at the top of the draft i think that there might they might be this might be the draft where uh, the best defenseman probably comes in the second or third round, and maybe the best that, center comes yeah. in the third round or second round or late first. Yeah, this seems know. like that kind of draft where everyone's draft board's going to be like really kind of different. Yeah, I think everybody probably has the, a very similar top eight, and then it's just then it's just like, all right, where do you put the second defenseman? Where do you put? Where Askarov. do you take your goalie? You know, the Russian goalie Askarov, or you know, you know this then the, the everything goes haywire and by all oh man by 15 16 uh, well that's why this draft's going to be different. fun and i'm why well, i'm glad they're doing it where you could still trade picks and players because some team might want to jump up to get a guy that other guys are like wait you you did that for who now yeah the the draft is the best you know overall product the nhl does on a yearly basis i mean uh i, I mean it, it is right in my wheelhouse so i'm biased when i say that but uh I, I'm I happy. The NHL draft a lot. I think it's really fun. Yeah. Really it creates really it creates a lot of trades. It creates a lot of player movement. Um, there's I, a lot of good hockey. It's not like the NFL talk. draft where everybody thinks they know everything about some random dude that played at Texas Tech. Like, in, if you're an NHL draft expert, you really do know what you're talking about. And so, and that number is small. So, I mean, it creates a good community around the draft. You know, it's yeah, it's a like lot it's, more good-hearted, casual. Um, passion yeah, it's not about like whether some dude's school is good or not and that's, yeah, that's yeah. so let's go over the the defensemen you sent me names of uh i'll let you talk about them and uh, what they're about yeah so i mean we'll do drysdale real quick just because you know the florida doesn't have unless they're trading up i mean he's going in the top eight probably probably top five just because he's the one defenseman and i can look at all of the teams everyone. up there and think they all need defensemen so yeah yep, yep. Mm-hmm. yeah and like i said the, you know days right end type good on you know good offensive guy good on good walking the blue line good on one-on-one matchups you know but he's not he's not somebody that you're gonna point out there like a dougie hamilton that's you know or a quinn hughes that's skating up and down the ice and you know being a, a horse on the back end for 30 minutes you know i don't know if that's going to be him he seems like as you said like just from reading it he just seems like a guy who's going to be a really heady second pair defenseman that just does yeah. stuff that you don't talk about i mean another recent draft prospect that i think he's probably closely aligned to is like um I, I, I want to say like you know a a, a more risk taking Ty Smith you know different. Yeah, Ty Smith went sixteenth, yeah. I think it was. Yeah, but that was a much better a better draft and definitely better for defensemen. Um, and then and, and you know after after Drysdale, there's two Swedish defensemen I like, and they're usually slated to go in the late 20s mid 20s late 20s or you know somewhere in the 30s and that's william wallinder and helga granz uh wallinder's a 6-4 left-handed defenseman uh he skates exceptionally well for a 6-4 defender he has a lot of uh good offensive instincts uh, he's a good puck rusher solid puck mover um and i think he has good defensive tools he's 
not refined in his defensive thinking and his positioning, but, uh, you know, I think the more he has probably the better high end skating toolkit, um, that you'll see in this draft. When, we, when I'm looking at the top of the draft class and defenders, uh, you know, there's not as many dynamic skating guys or, uh, you know, Phil Broberg types that are going to be big, good one-on-one, good gap control defenseman who jump up in the rush all the time. Well, Leander's that, that guy this year uh, from Moto, and he's a July 2002, so he's on the younger end. So his skating's going to get bigger, better. He's going to get bigger a lot more, you know, relative to other defensemen. Um, uh, you know, Helga Granz doesn't have that, uh, I think, high-end offensive upside, but he's much better defensively already, and he's still pretty proficient, um, uh, you know, offensively. 6'3", righty, another late 2002 in May. Um, I I kind of like him because he's impactful in whatever role he's playing in. You know, if he's playing on the penalty kill, uh, he's the penalty killer you're noticing. He's the one that's most active. Um, he kind of reminds me uh, as like a pronger or a Keith or a Dowdy and the type of defenseman, he, he really has that. I'm the number one defenseman. I'm run this decor. I set this pace when I'm on the ice, uh, kind of playing style. And I like that. I don't know if he can live up to it. Um, you know, scouts knock really his skating. And, um, if he can start, uh, the offense from the blue line, and, and but he has enough good enough shot that if he can get it through, I think he'll be fine I, picking I up assists. About defensemen is I don't. If you're in a team like if you're in Florida, you don't need a defenseman that starts offense from the blue line. You don't need right, that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's why I was like, that doesn't bother me because the Panthers have plenty of guys who can do that. Just just from that perspective. So it, for me, I think of can you be good enough in your defensive zone? but have enough offensive upside that when you're on the ice, it's not like, Oh, I have to pay attention to four players. You know, yeah. is there a balance there? Yeah. With, with, with Wallinder and Granz and, and I'll throw in Jake Sanderson. Those are the next three defensemen. And I'd be comfortable, you know, for Florida, I'd be comfortable taking them in the early teens, but for most, uh, most teams, I'd be comfortable taking them, you know, on the other side of 15, you know, the playoff teams taking them just because unlike a guy like Wawrinski or Jones or, you know, uh, Provorov, those guys who are taking in those, you know, single digit numbers there, I don't think they have that, that, that ceiling. But they're more than capable. I mean, they're fine. They're a great defenseman. They're the type of defense that people will be happy with. But I think that they're just more, um, you know, you know, Eric Carlson and Shabbat were taken in the mid-teens. So it's not bad to be, you know, kind of more in the 20s, 30s. But they, you know, Jake Sanderson is a great skater. He can run a power play at US, in the USHL for a dominant uh, national development program, but I don't think he's going to be running a power play one in the NHL. And I think that's the difference between getting picked 25th overall and getting picked eighth overall as a defenseman to me is, can you be that power play one guy and a good defenseman? Can you be both the best offensive defenseman and the best defensive on your team? Uh, you know, like these Ekblad's Jones, Roinsky's pro like they are. Yeah. You know that that's a that's a whole different level because when you look at it, 
you know, Wallinder is great and for the Panthers has a ton of value, you know, like a, a Sanderson, you know, is going to have a ton of value for the Panthers because he would be an ideal partner for Ekblad. Uh, he's six one. He comes from he has pro, you know, his dad, Jeff Sanderson, uh, was a pro hockey player. He's got high IQ, you know, like most of these uh, former pro kids have. Um, but he's not you know, someone that they should be picking that early because if you look at the forwards who are going to be available at 12, 13, 14, they're going to probably be more impactful to you winning a Stanley Cup. They're guys who are going to be and the uh, top six forwards. Point. They're, they're going to be transitioning a lot of guys, you know, yeah. in and out. And I think at the point where you are, I mean, yeah, you get to pick for need, but in the case of the Panthers, like at this point, you got to do BAP because Spencer Knight was BAP in many ways. And I mean, best yeah. of the player. And, yeah, and and if you think about it, I mean, if I really like William Wallander, Helga Grants, they're Swedish defensemen. There's nothing better to me than a Swedish defenseman over six foot who can skate and play both ends of the ice. Like that's perfect. But there's Lucas Cormier, there's Emil Andre, there's Ryan O'Rourke, there's Braden Schneider, there's Caden Gooley, there's Alexander Nik- Nikishin. Like there's a couple defensemen here that I would, if I'm Florida, I'm not thinking. Oh, I need to get the one, the best defenseman available. So I'm thinking. Words, what you're saying is, if they win a playoff series, they're in a better chance of picking a defenseman. Or if they, well, if they get out of this Islanders thing. Yeah, because the the chances of you know Ryan O'Rourke or you know those guys, you know the tenth, the set, the eighth, the tenth best defenseman being better than the guys, you know third or fourth best defenseman is a lot different than the forward you're going to be picking in the second round versus the forward you're picking in the first. Well, you know, that defenseman you pick in the second round is going to be probably as good as William Wallinder, as good as Jamie Drysdale. Like, it's it's much more statistically likely. Well, let's think about the, the forwards they've taken in the second round. You know, they took Heponiemi in the second round. They took Sarah Noel in the second round. You know, players like that. And it's not like they can't be good players. They just haven't actualized yet as opposed to, you know, like... Like, I, I, in many ways, what you're saying is, and I kind of see this, it's like a player like Mackenzie Weger, who was a seventh-round flyer, has a, has a better chance of being that impact player than, say, you know, that third-round forward who you like his skill, but he's got rough edges, you know what I mean? Like, you've got a better chance of polishing the defenseman than polishing the forward in many ways. I think, yeah, I and, think that's in, in some ways, but, I mean, the, the biggest thing is, especially for forwards, the, the real impact is in the first 20 picks for forwards. So if you have a top 20 pick, unless, unless there's somebody that's giving you even a defenseman that's giving you close to that value, you got to go forward. I mean, because the defenseman you're going to pick in the second round. In the first round since yeah. forever. Yeah. I mean, the, the, second, the second round D... You know, a D that's picked at eighth overall, even if it's a Rinsky, even if it's a Provorov, they're much closer to the D's picked in the third and fourth round than, you know, even defense, you know, a, a forward picked at 12th overall is going to be so much different than a forward picked at 30th overall, most likely. Like the gaps, it just deteriorates much quicker because the, the, the high end ability to score goals in the NHL is. It just—it's a very small group of players in every draft that can do it. The difference between Sarah Noel and Grigory Denisenko is, you know, substantial. Yes, compared to the defenseman you would take in those respective spots, even in that, you know, like name the defenseman you would take instead of Denisenko, and the defenseman you would take instead of Noel. Taken instead of Denisenko probably would have been what? 
probably would have been Ty Smith. All right, so let's go to let's go to this. Let's do this because this you're probably you'd probably be able to pick the same defenseman. Yeah, this and, is like, and this that's is, this, is, this is 2018. So you mentioned yeah. Ty Smith. He was picked two picks after Florida. Yeah, so we picked 34. Yeah, we would take Ty Smith. And then you think about a guy who everybody loves is uh, Alexander Romanoff. You hear a lot about him, right? He mm-hmm. was picked 38, so four picks after the Panthers took Noel. How different are they? You would know more than I would in that in that regard. Well, I mean, you're 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 still probably looking at guys who I mean, Ty Smith's probably getting NHL minutes next year. Um, Romanov's getting NHL minutes next year, uh, and they're probably going to roughly be. I mean, Smith though pro- might end up being a little better. Because he just, um, I mean, just doesn't have defensemen. They're right? a lot close. I mean, but you're you're looking at Bodie Wilds there. Uh, Jared McIsaac uh, is another defenseman that is was you know picked right there. And Scott Pr- uh, Prunovich. Uh, those are all very highly thought of defensemen. But if I'm looking around at other forwards, uh, there's not too many other forwards right there that are that as highly thought of or that close. One, two, three, four. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, thirteen defensemen were taken yeah. in that second round. Yeah, um, and you have to remember that this is a draft that's that is probably had one of the best crop of defensemen in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, yeah. And I, 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 I stand by that, and I said it at the moment uh, that that was a defenseman draft. And, uh, so, but, you know, it just goes to show that like, you're much better off taking a forward in the top 15. We said that last year when it came to Spencer, well, not well, here's, here's another way to putting it. Like if you're looking at the forwards that are on the board for the Panthers, as opposed to taking Kolya Chanak, who I know you still can't probably pronounce his name, but you know, like you would tell me, even if you're not the biggest fan of Kolya Chanak as compared to other D like that's good value compared to the forward you probably would have taken there. Well, yeah, I mean, there's gonna be a lot of people who are really high on Nick Robertson right now. Um, well, yes, because he's a think... prospect, and that's what everybody does. That so, <laughs> and, I mean, and yeah. he had a great, and he's coming off a great, uh, you know, CHL year where he's getting the call up straight to making the super expanded Black Aces lineup. In a regular year, he's not getting called up and putting on Black Aces. You know, he's not probably playing yada yada. But I mean, yes, I would rather have I'd rather have who the Panthers drafted that defenseman than than Robertson. But you know, if we look past Robertson. Uh, yeah, those other forwards, they don't interest me really at all. So, I mean, basically now. That kind of, that, that's, that's the point. And using Panthers examples, I think that makes a decent amount of sense. And it's also basically what you're telling me is like the Panthers could have, they didn't, they wanted Soderstrom, but they didn't take him. Like basically what you're telling me, the difference between, I don't know, Cole Caulfield, whatever. And, uh, and whoever was taken at the top of that, you know, Nils Hoglander or somebody like that is, is a bigger gap than say you know Soderstrom and then whoever was taken at the top of the second round is basically it's ba- that's well, basically your point. Right now, I think Florida and to an extent Philadelphia is seeing the mistake. Like right now, looking at the year Cole Caulfield had, uh, I want Cole Caulfield more than Spencer Knight and Cam York. Looking at the one year, it is still one year, and you got to yeah. But I mean, I mean, I think congrats to the Canadian. I for I, I was pretty. Caulfield. I was pretty, um, you know, and I'm still hesitant about his goal scoring abilities, but 
Uh, Wisconsin didn't have a great year. There, there was a lot of stuff going on. Uh, you know, like I, I think it was, a, and he put up a lot of points in where a, a lot of players that had similar talent to him didn't do so well. And then, you know, Ryan Suzuki had a, had a big year. Um, and he, he got picked a lot later, but, um, you know, Bobby Brink is another forward. Like there's, I just think, I don't know. It, it, it's a little counterintuitive, but you'll, you're, you, you can find forwards more easily. So you're not just looking for any type of forward, but the top end skill guys usually only get picked, especially when they play in the CHL or USHL, they usually only get picked in the top 15, top 20. And it's uh, this year with and the, you gotta, I guess the foreign forwards anyway. Uh, we don't want to hold you too long during this, you know, this pandemic, so you can go out and do other things that are, in many ways, better uses of your time. But if you have a parting thought, Tommy, and hopefully we'll be doing another podcast, not after a seven or eight week gap, although who knows, probably will happen. Uh, what's your parting shot for this week? And I, I think, uh, well, it's, one hockey it's, related, one non-hockey related. Well, non-hockey related is do something uh, if you feel inclined to fight back against state-sanctioned terror. Um, and the hockey-related one is, if you're a Panthers fan, or if you're just a fan of good defensemen, uh, look into Alexander uh, Nikishin, uh, N-I-K-I-S-H-I-N. I misspelled um, his name very badly the first time I looked it up. <laughs> yes, but you, you'll still end up there. Uh, this is the guy... I think that Florida should draft. He should be available in the you know second half of the second round, early third, Got judging by ninety first overall. In case you're yeah, wondering. I mean, I, I think yeah, I think there's a lot of seventies, eighties, nineties on on this guy. So I think you know thirty third round is probably doable. Uh, so that's not asking Florida to do too much, uh, I don't think. Um, but this guy is exactly what the people I think who like stats and like good Branson, if they got together and had a baby, they'd like this guy. Cause, uh, he's the perfect guy to pair with Ekblad. I, I really do think so. He's Russian. He can talk to Barkov. I'm, I'm a fan. I'm a uh-huh. fan. There's, sure. there's so much else we could get to hockey related, but I don't know if that's appropriate. Yeah. But right yeah, now, he'll be, he should be, a, he should be, you know, not too tough for Florida to acquire. I mean, because when you're no, talking they have two about third round picks, yeah, and when you're talking about, you know, oh, this guy, he's, he's ranked 16th overall or 15th overall usually. Uh, the, the, it's a lot harder to get those types of guys, but when you know you're talking about, oh, these guys are, you know, third, fourth, you have more influence on whether you can get those guys and. You know, it's easier to see whether, you know, you have to jump up to get them or not based on how the board's moving. In the first round, it's way too early to tell that kind of stuff. And so it's a little harder. So if you feel compelled to donate to organizations, you can find them on Twitter if that uh, if that so suits you, which and just check check those organizations and make sure they're not overflowing with donations, because sometimes uh, you can make a bigger impact donating to uh a sister or a brother organization of that um one of them and usually they will direct you in in which way to go to like 20 million bucks you don't need to donate there anymore donate to organizations that that need a little bit more you can definitely make an impact and i know that it's a pandemic and i know that you know nobody has work but if you got a few more dollars to spare even 10 bucks do that actions do speak louder than words anyway that's why hockey 
I just for now. <laughs> and I guess during a pandemic, it's really becoming why hockey.